Hello everybody, welcome to another episode of Roped In. I'm your host, John Roper. On today's episode, I'm very happy to say that I am joined by my father, Brian Roper. We're going to be talking about the Formula One, um, a bit of kind of leading into it, so I touched on it two episodes ago, but we're kind of going to be touching on our thoughts leading into it, and then our thoughts on the race that just happened in Bahrain, and then uh, he's going to leave me and I'm going to wrap up the episode uh, I touched on it last episode, so I'm going to finish that little mini-series, and this episode is going to be the best franchises in the world, so mainly the North American sports, but I'm finally going to touch on some soccer ones as well because I'm a big soccer fan, so uh, there you have it. Um, again, uh, Formula One recap with my dad, Brian Roper, and the best franchises in North American sports. As I usually say, sit back, relax, and let's get right into it. And like I just mentioned, everybody, I am joined by my father once again, Brian Roper. Hi, Dad. Hi, how are you all? Good morning, everybody. Or it's good morning here in Jamaica. And it's really great to be back on Roped In, John. How was your Christmas? Christmas was really, really fun. Um, I spent Christmas here in Canada and then came down in January to Jamaica to spend it with uh, my family and my father. So it was a lot of fun. Uh, and my dad's here now today to talk Formula One. Um, he's been on before. I hope you guys uh, enjoyed him on there before. We we love to talk Formula One, don't we, Dad? Yeah, any sport, but Formula One, it's here. It's 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 dominating my last couple of weeks anyway. Yeah. So I mean, I'm just gonna do a bit of a recap. I talked about it in the uh, previous episode, but I am gonna just kind of touch on it and mention it. So. Not much driver lineup really changed. Uh, not that it, it has to really happen, but I don't remember the last time that it completely was the exact same from when it ended last season to where it started this season. Yeah, that that's that's. I think that's going to be the emphasis on today's talk because it doesn't appear as if much has changed. The only thing that's changed is is a is a few paint jobs on the motorcars yeah pretty much i mean we, we all know i touched on it last week uh big changes in 2025 with driver lineups you got hamilton going to ferrari albon to red bull who knows what's going to happen with the mercedes and signs um but yeah this this year really nothing changed um i was very very excited the the testing started on february 21st with bahrain being the first race and it's practice kind of starting on february 29th uh, the race was, at least for me, in Victoria on Saturday morning, just with the time difference and everything, because Bahrain's hot as hell. But they have oil money, so the race is there on opening weekend, but they have to have it on Saturday night instead of Sunday morning, because they have to have it at night. Well, that's the, yes, they do have to have it at night. But the reason they have it on Saturday is next year, next week is Saudi Arabia. And the Sunday, which is the 10th, is the start of Ramadan. And they couldn't race on Ramadan, so they had to move Saudi Arabia to Saturday. Hence, Bahrain had to go to Saturday. Oh, the more you know. There you go. You know, you just need to keep keep abreast. But you're right about the evening race. That That's very important to them. Yeah, and I mean, I, I like the night race in the sense of... It's nice to see under the lights. Like it, it is cool to watch the cars in the shine. I mean, granted, a lot of the cars are dark. But it's nice. I don't know. It's lit up. It's a cool looking track under the lights. I'm, I'm going to admit that. Yeah. 
Um, so that was that. But I mean, touching on the practice, it, it, it opened up and I mean, after that first practice session, Grant, you, you never take too much on practice, but Racing Bull, um, Visa Cash App Racing Bull, who, who was Alpha Tori, who I actually really like their paint job because we were just talking about them. Uh, but but they both finished in the top five after the practice session. And not that I knew the Racing Bull would would really be competing for that top spot, but I thought after that that, you know, maybe they could get that fifth spot on the on the grid because they they are Red Bull's predecessor, so they, they could be a pretty good team. But I mean, that that was one of the things that I saw. And then McLaren was up there as well. Aston Martin was up there, the, the normals, but that was the one that after the first practice session, I thought that uh Racing Bull was going to be a team competing in the middle of the pack. Um I don't yeah, know if you, that's, if you necessarily that's, saw practice that's, or anything. That's so true. And it just taught me practice means nothing. I mean, Adrian Newey, who I'm convinced he ought to be given the world championship, he just uses every part of practice and testing to get his car perfect. He gets different data. He tries different tires. And, you know, earlier on in practice, even Max was complaining. Max was complaining about gear shifting and this and that. And my initial reaction was, yippee, this year is is going to be a lot more competitive. It's going to be a lot more down to the skill of the drivers. And I agree with you. I mean, it, it's odd that Red Bull, who have their their engineering so so close to to their RB team, the RB team doesn't do that much better, you know. Yeah, I mean, I understand that you don't necessarily want there to be too much competition. You you want the secondary team to be secondary, but it's also, it is surprising, or it's one of the things where, you know, each year it seems like they're developing a car. Why not just the car that Red Bull had last year make Racing Bull have this car this year? Either way, um, that's not necessarily what this segment is about, uh, complaining about the Red Bull team. I, I also thought the same thing. I mean, going into it, yes, I'm, I'm, I'm. I mentioned in the last episode, in the last episode that, or two episodes ago, that Red Bull was going to be the team that wins this year, and Max Verstappen was going to be the team that dominated. Um, so that's no surprise to me there. But I thought that it was going to be at least not him winning as many races as he as he won last year. The the one practice session that I kind of pay attention to is somewhat on the third practice session because that's when they are really testing their speed and they're putting out those laps and they're trying to see what the teams can do. Uh, And that's where Carlos Sainz and Charles Leclerc, those two Ferrari cars, both finished in the top five. Again, you're right. Uh, Red Bull knows what they're doing, so they didn't necessarily show out there. But the Ferraris putting in some pretty impressive lap times is where I was like, okay, are we we now going to see Red Bull have that somewhat competitor in Ferrari um, was one of the things I was excited to watch going into the qualifying and the race weekend. Yeah, yeah, that's very true. You know, I, I spent a lot of time looking at how how the cars all looked and the setup of the cars this year and Mercedes. They moved their seats back further to get a different balance. And many, if you look at the cars very closely, many of them look like the Red Bull car of last year. They they got the wing designs the same way, the wing pods, the, the air that, that they bring in to keep the car to the ground. Um, and then Newey goes and changes everything about Red Bull. They don't look like any car that they looked like last year. They've changed. They have a true new car. Um, and boy, is you know, 
you would have thought that the engineers could have got that better. I mean, in, in practice, you know, it, it's it's a consistency of this Red Bull team that just amazed me. You know, Max has now gone 62 complete races where he has finished. Now, I, I just, you know, I can't imagine how that is to keep the engines, no crash, no engine failures, no somebody else bumping him off the track. That, that's got to be a history of some sort. I mean, it was another immaculate weekend for him where he qualified on pole, led the entire race, he wins the race, he has the fastest lap. I mean, he, he utterly dominated, um, which yeah, is absolutely I mean, impressive. Even qualifying, I mean, the first session, he wasn't first. Second, Leclerc beat him. It's just that last flying lap on, on the third qualifying round, that he goes and beats everybody. You know, he, it's like, well, we're testing this, we're testing that. Okay, well, this is the one lap I have to do. Um, e even during the race, you know, there was a point where Russell had the fastest lap. And the commentator said, well, I've just heard over the microphone that Max is going for the fastest lap. And boom, he gets the fastest lap of the race with 15 laps left, you know. So it's like, it's like a game to that Red Bull team. I mean, it's, they they seem to have a completely different setup and game plan to anybody else. You'd think that they have an advantage because they get more tires or something, but boy, it's sad. No, you're not wrong there. I mean, you're, you're right with the qualifying sessions. He never really seems to just be dominating through the whole weekend. And yes, Adrian Newey is doing his practicing, but Max Verstappen, to me as well, is also doing his practicing. He just knows... Got to finish top 16, got to finish top 10, and then the real qualifying starts. So it's almost as if he's testing the corners to see, okay, this is what Newey has done. What can I do going into this corner? How far can I push the car's limits? And then, you know, as you're saying, that final, final uh, flying lap is when he he's like, okay, I've now learned through my 10 laps of what Newey has put together. I now know what to do. Bam, he puts it out there. He finishes on top. Um, it's also one of the ones where... Watching last year, again, where Max Verstappen kind of just tests it out. Yes, he wants that pole position. He wants to get the Immaculate Weekend, but it also shows that he's fine with second place. Um, he just wants to be in that front row because with that Red Bull, he's going to have the start. As long as he's in the front row, by the end of lap one, no matter what course you're on, he's going to be winning the race. Um, so Max Verstappen's impressive to watch. But on the opposite end of the grid, the one that... I mean, does surprise me because I, I did actually predict them to finish pretty high up. Um, but then after watching them in testing and then also watching them in practice, Alpine is in for a rough season this year. Oh, aren't they ever? They they just, I mean, the surprise team that I thought this year would be Haas. I mean, Hulkenberg, I thought, was, was going to be somebody to be reckoned with. Um, he qualified you know, in the top 10 for, for the grid and then goes and has an accident on the first corner. Well, I guess that can happen to anybody unless you're out in, in first place. Um, but it's just, I, I, Williams completely confound me. How, how they have stuck with Logan Sargent, I just don't understand. I mean, I don't know how competitive their car is, but with Sargent, <laughs> I don't think it's going anywhere. I don't think it's going anywhere either. I think it's one of the things where right now Logan Sargent is in a very similar boat to me as Zhou Guan Yu on that stake force team. 
where I say that in the sense of Drive to Survive, that Netflix show is blowing up and has brought a lot of viewership to Formula One, a lot of viewership to North American audience as well. Logan Sargent, American, the only American on the grid. I think being the only American on the grid is bringing a lot of money to the sense of, yes, you want to develop, but I don't even know who their reserve driver is. Um, But it's one of the things where I would rather have the Formula 2 racer getting the races and winning the races and getting that development going on than than what Logan Sargent is doing. Because they're at the similar skill level to me, but Logan Sargent's the one that doesn't have the potential, you're right, but has the marketing ability because he's the only American out there. And where I say it's similar to Zhou Guan Yu, he's the only Chinese man out there. Um, I'm pretty sure that stake team has about three sponsors on the side of their car that are Chinese sponsors that I don't think would be there if it wasn't for Zhou. Um, so I agree. I'm not a fan of Sargent. I, I would like to see him replaced. But in the business sense, I do somewhat understand why. Um, I mean, he, he was a good racer in his uh, developmental years, like in the F3 and the F2 years. Um, but people like... Um, Who's that reserve driver for Red Bull now? That's uh, he came in for Ricardo when he got injured. He's New Zealand. Yeah, I saw. Yeah, I can't remember his name. The blonde guy. Yeah, um, he, he seems hot. Yes. Either way, he he I think would deserve the spot better. But that's where I think Sargent gets the seat. Is he has one year of experience under there? The contract I'm sure was more than a one year contract, so they don't want to break that. Um, but Williams, I would agree. It's it's interesting to see. Next year, I think, is going to be the interesting one. Do they keep Sargent? We know Albon's going to move on. Are they going to completely blow it up? How competitive are they going to be this year? Um, so Williams is going to be an interesting team to watch going forward for just the racing of what's going to happen in the offseason next year with their two drivers. Um, but Haas, Haas was the one where I thought was going to finish last, but again, Alpine it was. Um, but moving on to the race, uh, pretty boring, to be honest with you. There, oh. there really was was not a lot of action at all. There, there really wasn't. I mean, it, it. After four laps, I said to myself, "My gosh, this is awful," because it was all down to 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 just let's keep in line. I mean, the the one surprise to me was Alonso kept falling back. He started fifth, but he fell back a few times. But it it it's just it's just. These races, they've got to find a way to make them exciting. I think that Bahrain track is is actually quite a boring track, and it's, it's again sponsorship that you know they're twenty years they've been going to Bahrain, and I think they'll be going there for twenty more. I mean, there's there's nothing exciting about the track. They have more runoff space than than they have tracks. Um, there's nobody that closely has an accident. If you run off the track, you still have a mile to go before you're going to hit anything. So there's really not a lot of skill there. They have one of the few tracks that have three DRS zones. Um, they don't have, it's not, the track is not designed for the spectator. They only have one set of grandstands and it's a tough track. It's one of those that is not exciting. And I think once the first few laps go, um, it, it's going to finish that way. I mean, there, there really wasn't even, excitement for 10th 12th 14th you know normally you have a little racing going on there but it it when when you look at it there were 20 and 30 seconds off you know 
I, I'm glad I saw the Formula 2 race as well. I mean, what's exciting about the, the Formula 2 race that they had during practice on Friday was uh, a Caribbean kid from Barbados, Zane Maloney. He won. Yeah, I know. He's uh, he's one that I'm I'm really excited to watch. I think he's going to get picked up and be a, a third driver for some team. I think he's not... He's he's still one year away from being eligible to even being signed by a Formula One team. He's that young, um, but I'm going to be excited to see him. He's definitely going to be in the Formula One um, one day, so he's definitely going to be a really really exciting one to watch. Um, but yeah, again, the race just didn't really do anything. Being a McLaren fan, watching it, they didn't really go anywhere. One of the things that with Formula One. As a fan, yes, we all know Verstappen's going to win. He's going to dominate. But where I do find the enjoyment is you can watch, see who's coming second place. So I know there's the funny pictures of the people that tape their TV screen. They they tape off the first place and they basically make the race for second seem like the race for first. And that in itself can be a race sometimes as well. I mean, sometimes you have to do it as third because Red Bull's that dominant and even Perez is up there. But this past race was was not even exciting in in that kind of a sense um so i'm i'm really hoping that the next weekend is or the next race is going to be more more action packed at least i mean i don't i don't want to see the crashes but I, I like to see the the aggressive driving the close finishes people battling for the points i mean this this weekend just was pretty bland all around um but i'm excited to see where the season's going to go we know red bulls definitely going to finish first but after it, you know, McLaren, I don't think I don't think McLaren thought they were going to be this fast. As a McLaren fan following along, they they didn't think they were going to be this fast. So I think they could be a team fighting for the third spot. I do think Ferrari will ultimately finish second. They just they really did show that they were the second best team out there. Again, the only thing that's going to demise Ferrari is Ferrari's strategy. Um, but McLaren will beat Mercedes. It's just going to be Ferrari will finish second as long as their strategies allow them to finish second. Yeah, I, I think you're spot on. I mean, Sainz is going to prove Ferrari wrong. They've let go the wrong guy to bring in Hamilton because Sainz, he, he beat Leclerc yesterday hands down. I mean, Leclerc was second on the pole and Sainz clear out beat him. And I think you'll find... Sainz is going to push Perez this year. Even Perez just coasted in second place. He, you know, he had a, a four or five second gap over third. And he, you know, he obviously wasn't going to chase Max. He wouldn't have caught him. And he just stayed there. And Sainz made a little move with him. He, he turned up the throttle and went again. So I think Sainz is going to probably push Perez for second and third this year. I think if I was Hamilton, I would start being a little concerned now, I think there are going to be times that he doesn't even get in the top 10. Um, it, it's it's an odd one. I don't fully understand how a year out you can announce that you're moving. You know, that it must be very difficult keeping your eye on the focus for this year when the whole world is wondering what's going to happen next year. No, I couldn't agree more with that one. I mean, I mentioned that on uh, episode 25, that exact thing that you know, why is Mercedes going to invest in Hamilton? Why is Hamilton going to try and get the Mercedes car to be better? Why is even Sainz going to really invest in Ferrari? I mean, Sainz I can understand because he's trying to put together a season where 
who's going to sign me, who's going to pay me. I can, I can win. Put me in a fast car. I'm going to do it. And I think he's always proven that everywhere he's gone. He's kind of always been underestimated as a McLaren fan. I was, I even underestimated a little bit. I'm not going to lie. He was partnered up with Lando Norris. And then when Daniel Ricciardo came in, Danny Ricciardo was just always my favorite. So I was happy there. But at the end of the day, Sainz was the better driver there. McLaren messed up when they let Sainz go. That was decision one number wrong. And you're right. Ferrari, I think, has let go the wrong driver. Again, I think Leclerc is one of those star boys that when he puts it together, he really is a top racer. Sainz is just a lot more consistent. And he's the racer that I think will win you a championship before Leclerc would. So I agree that Ferrari's making a mistake. And, and who knows? Maybe Mercedes does put together a fast car, get signs, and wouldn't that be funny if signs on Mercedes overleaps Hamilton on Ferrari in 2025? The excitement, something that I'm going to watch all year, John, is what's going to happen to Perez? The guy came second last year. Unless he has car trouble, he's coming second again this year. And he doesn't have a, he doesn't have a drive. I just don't get it. He is, again, with sponsorship, he's, you know, he's, he's Mexican, and they're Formula One crazy, a large population. So signs, I mean, Perez has to get a car, but where is he going to go? What, what's the slot that's open that he can, you know, I think if he becomes the number one driver in the team, he might be hard to beat. I think they just have a car now that's set up for Max, um, and, and Sergio has to learn to drive it. I mean, I would definitely agree with that. Um not that I know a crazy amount about Formula One or anything, and I don't want to judge any talent, but from what I have seen, Checo to me doesn't strike me as a, a championship winning driver. He's a very, very smart driver. Um, he's a very, very good driver. I just, and, and maybe it is also looking at the other teams and not thinking they have a fast enough car, but Checo on any other team, I don't like, he's... I don't know. He doesn't strike me ever as as the person that's going to do it for you. I don't know which team would give him the spot. Who knows? Maybe Checo does get that seat on Mercedes and becomes driver one. But I think Mercedes has eyes on moving Russell up to driver one and then replacing Hamilton with a driver two. So I I don't know the team that's going to be able to have the fast car because, I mean, if you think about the top teams, you're going to have Red Bull, Ferrari, Mercedes, and what looks like not that they would ever compete up there, but McLaren is going to round out the top four and then Aston Martin with five. Who yeah, knows I if think... Fernando Alonso is going to retire, but if Aston Martin keeps improving, their car is going to be there. So Fernando's the top dog in Aston Martin. Lando's the top dog in McLaren. Uh, Verstappen with Red Bull. You're going to have Hamilton and Ferrari already confirmed. Uh, sorry, Hamilton and Leclerc already confirmed in Ferrari. Russell, I think, is going to be the number one in Mercedes. So like, where does Checo go? As a number um, one driver, that that's that's an excellent point. I mean, it, it's the the driver that is the, the number two driver in the team that I think has the best chance of being a number one is Oscar Piastri. I think he is excellent. I think he's 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 going to push Norris this year, um, and and you know he's Australian again, a big reason for for sponsorship. I think you touched on it earlier that a lot of these drivers come from countries that it's important that they represent. And, you know, Ricardo and Piastri being Australian definitely helped that matter. But it, it's it's going to be who can change their car to fit, fit the various tracks as you go along. I mean, Red Bull have already announced when they get to Europe where they have 
not such long straights and more corners and less runoff that they're changing the, the side pods on their car. And, you know, and they're, they're thinking about the 2025 car already. And I think a lot of these teams are still trying to work out what they're going to do in 24. And I'm sure somewhere in Austria where Red Bull do all of their homework, um, they're thinking next year. What what can we do next year? What part can we change? What's aerodynamic and dynamics can work? And I think they're proven that it's more than just a driver. It's a team. Yeah, no, I mean, I, I couldn't agree more with that one. Um, as you're saying with Piastri there, it's I, I do agree that he's going to be pushing Lando Norris. He's not going to stay the driver too for a long time. So one of the things that I think is is going to be exciting to watch and just to, to kind of wrap up where, where I was touching on where I predict drivers are going to end up, where I could actually see it is potentially Piastri, depending on where McLaren finishes, if they finish behind Mercedes, Piastri could potentially make the move to Mercedes. And and again, this is my dream scenario as a McLaren fan, but this is where Sainz, who already had race for McLaren, like McLaren, gets along with Lando Norris very well, could come down to McLaren and then... Who knows, maybe there's a new team in 2025 or 2026 that ends up picking up Checo. Um, so that's where all of that could end up rounding up. But it's it's going to be exciting. As you're saying, I think a lot of this season is people preparing for 2025. They they knew that after last year, there wasn't going to be much that's going to catch Verstappen in that Red Bull for this year. So, so I don't think a lot of teams are preparing for dominating this year. They're really just treating it as a complete two-year offseason. This is more just research for next year um, to make that 2025 season hopefully a bit more competitive. I think you're spot on. And uh, it's going to be hard to wake up at 5 o'clock in the morning to watch these races in Europe when it's it's a foregone conclusion as to what's going to happen. But it is Formula 1. Let's see what happens. I mean... The big excitement seems to center around Christian Horner as to what he's doing. Um, and that's definitely not going to help Red Bull. So that that definitely might come into play. But, um, you know, I, I think that we have an exciting year ahead of us anyway. It's Formula One, there are 24 races, 23 left. And, you know, every, every time I sit there, I just go, my gosh, let's go to that one. I mean, my, my bucket list is to try and go to the Silverstone track and see that one but who is to tell let's see if i lose all my hair before that happens <laughs> no that'll definitely be a dream one day i agree it's going to be a, a very very exciting um season to watch and uh next up we got that saudi arabia track on march 7th so let's see if there's any changes anything that's really going to happen or if we just got another boring race in our hands either way um, there you have it uh, that would be great. Thanks for inviting me, John, to come and talk Formula One. Um, and I continue to enjoy listening to Roped In. And I must admit, I I didn't enjoy my Sunday evenings um, when there weren't any episodes. So let, let's keep everything running. And I look forward to learning so much more on your insight in various sports and people. Yeah, thank you very much. Yeah, it's uh, going to be an exciting season ahead of us. So uh, thank you very much for uh, coming out, Dad. Thanks. Thanks. Take care and stay warm.
And here we are with the second and final segment of today's episode. Again, it's wrapping up the little mini-series that I have going, and it's the best franchises in, really, the North American sports, because I did the worst franchises in North American sports. Uh, last week, I did it from MLB, NHL, NFL to NBA. I'm going to flip it around this time. So, NBA, let's start off. Uh, the, the top franchises there um, are Lakers, Celtics, Spurs and Heat. So the Lakers and the Celtics, I think, historically are, without a doubt, number one and two. Anybody that knows basketball, as much as you hate to admit it, as much as you hate those franchises, they do win. Um, they, they have the, the stats, they have the resume behind there that they, they've got to be one and two in the best franchises in NBA history. And then I've got the Spurs and the Heat in there. So everybody knows that I'm a Heat fan. Going to be a bit biased when I say some of this, but I also think it's true. A lot of it is the leadership of Pat Riley, the coaching of Eric Spolstra. But the Heat have been a a factor since the Heat have been around. They haven't been around long, which is why I don't think I'm going to really count them in the category. But I'm putting them in contention. If they continue on this path, they can be arguably the best franchise in NBA history one day. You know, they always put together a winning team. They always seem to be able to put together some kind of a winning franchise. Um, yeah, it doesn't win the championship, but they're competitive. I mean, I think it's going to happen again this year. They're going to get into the playoffs. I, I made a joke with my friend, but, you know, I could actually see it happening. Second round, Game 7 knockout against the Celtics. I could see it. Granted, the Celtics are absolutely dominant. An injury would probably need to happen. The Celtics are a really good team. But the Heat are one to be feared, and I think everybody around the NBA knows that. You, you can never really count them out. Uh, even when everybody thought we were going to be rebuilding after the LeBron era, we we still continue to, to put it together and perform. Um, but ultimately, the team in the NBA that, that takes the cake for me are the Los Angeles Lakers. Uh, ultimately, they have 17 rings. They, they've won the Larry O'Brien 17 times. They've been to the finals 32 times. They've been to the playoffs 61 times. Um, it's, it's absolutely impressive. Um, so that's where I had the Lakers. I mean, even when you think of the, the players that have played with them, the Shaq, the Kobe, Kareem, the logo, Jerry West, uh, Kwame Brown, uh, they, they just have some absolute studs that have played for them, some top draft picks. Um, so, so the Lakers are definitely up there. Um, Spurs were up there. I think in, in my time, I mean, what they had a 22 year playoff streak, so the Spurs are definitely a dominant one. It's just the Lakers with the 17 rings is is a tough one to pass up and, and is why I think that they're the best team in NBA history in terms of a, how the franchise is run. Now, granted, they've got the money. They've got the, the stardom of LA. They've got the, the franchise history. So I think it's easy to recruit the stars to get there. But at the end of the day, they've still done it. They've still done it well. I mean, New York's also a big mecca place, and they haven't been able to recruit very well at all. So I give my hats to the Los Angeles Lakers. Now we're moving on to the NFL, where in contention for me are the Green Bay Packers, the Pittsburgh Steelers, the New England Patriots, the San Francisco 49ers, and I'll never say it, but I guess you got to kind of say the Dallas Cowboys because of their history. But no, the Cowboys aren't really in contention at all for me because they haven't won crap since the 90s. The 93, so really since the 80s. Um, screw the Cowboys, you suck. Um, but again, the Packers, Steelers, Patriots, and 49ers. So Patriots, I want to count up there. I mean, from from my time, the Patriots are the greatest team in my era. 
But it's not in my era. It's in the NFL's era. And because the Patriots really only did domination during the Bill Belichick, Tom Brady era, they were a pretty bad team before that kind of all started. I'm, I'm not going to put them in the contention to there. I think the Steelers and the Packers are the two teams that historically over the, the, the history of the franchise have always been around. Now, yes, I'm going to knock on the Patriots for saying the Bill Belichick and, and Tom Brady era. But the Packers have also had Brett Favre and and Aaron Rodgers. So that's what's had their success going for a long time. But they've also had rotating coaches. They were good before Brett Favre showed up. I mean, they were good back in the day as well. Uh, Vince Lombardi, the guy the trophy's named after, was their coach. They were a really, really good team back in the day as well. Uh, now they seem like they've also found another one with Jordan Love. So the fact that they've been able to continue it along, I mean, the Patriots really fell off after Tom Brady, and I think that's what's knocked them out of contention for me. If they kept it going with a Mac Jones or, or somebody else, they, they'd be up there. But the Packers seem to have struck another one with Jordan Love. I don't know if he's going to ever really be the Brett Favre or Aaron Rodgers level, but they seem to have found another quarterback that can win, and they can win for them and bring them to the playoffs. So... Packers are up there. However, the team that actually is winning for me is the Pittsburgh Steelers. Pittsburgh Steelers win it for me because they actually have six rings over the Packers four. And I think have been just as good. I mean, they have had a 20 straight winning season streak that's active right now. They are 6-8 and eight in the Super Bowl. They have 33 playoff appearances. And when you think of the different eras, they had Steel Curtain. Similar to the Packers, they had rotating coaches, Chuck Noll, Bill Cower, Mike Tomlin. It's not just one person doing it. It's, it's consistent coaches. Head office is finding the right teams. They're running it the right way. Um, you know, the, the Patriots are really, really good. You know, Big Ben, Terry Bradshaw is their two quarterbacks. They're finding the right guys. They're, they're building it the Pittsburgh Steeler way, and they're doing it well. So that's where it, it, it's where I'm going. I mean, everybody knows that I'm an E-A-G-L-E-S Eagles fan. But the other Pennsylvania team, the Pittsburgh Steelers, I think overall is the best run franchise in history. Um, I think if the Packers were up there with the same number of rings, I might have them with the edge just because maybe I've, I've seen more of them in my era with the, again, Brett Favre and Aaron Rodgers. But the Pittsburgh Steelers, for all the reasons like I mentioned, they just dominated all the way throughout, are the team to me that that are the ones. I mean, they they... They really know what they're doing. Um, it's it's not really a surprise to me. So again, Pittsburgh Steelers, NFL's best run franchise. Now we're moving on to the NHL, um, where I, I, I can't say I know a whole lot about it. But in a bit of research from what I've done, the, the teams from what I know as well are Canadians, Red Wings, Bruins, and Penguins. They're the teams that I have in contention. As, as who it's going to be. So Canadians are up there because they have 24 cups. So where I knocked on the Cowboys for only having uh, not won since 93, the Canadians have also not won since 93. So spoiler, they're actually my favorite team because they've not been able to do it in 30 years and that's a huge knock on their franchise history. But the fact that they have 24 Stanley Cups, they have to be in contention. They just have to be. Um, the Bruins and the Penguins are up there because now I'm, they're the teams that in my lifetime, I've always seen them in the playoffs. They were always going, I mean, Mario Lemieux, he was the Penguins guy. Then it kind of flew into the Max Crosby and, um, 
Evenchki, Malkin, or I'm pronouncing that wrong, but I know it's Malkin. Um, they were a really, really good team. I don't know much of the Bruins players because I hate Boston. I don't like the Boston teams. But they're always around. They're always putting together good squads. So they're definitely up there. But it's the Red Wings, to me, that are actually the best team in the NHL history. Now, the Red Wings, a lot of people are going to say, what, they haven't won since 2009? So yeah, they, they really have not been successful in a while. But the Red Wings, uh, they have 11 Stanley Cups. They've been to the Stanley Cup 24 times. They've been to the playoff 64 times, including what was a 25-year playoff streak. So why I'm calling the Red Wings my favorite or best franchise in history. One, they're one of my favorite teams in history. But the Red Wings were winning in the 30s. They were winning in the 40s. They were winning in the 50s. Now, they weren't winning in the 60s. I'm going to give them that. But they did show up to the Stanley Cup five times. Or, sorry, four times in the 60s. So, they were still making it there. They were putting together competitive teams. In the 70s was the only decade that I don't think they really put together much. But then the 80s, this playoff streak started and it went all the way to, like, what, 2009? So, I mean, it's just absolutely crazy and unfathomable to think that every decade they've, they've kind of been up there. Um, again, yes, the Canadians have 24 cups over the Red Wings 11. That's a drastic difference and championships do mean something, but in a team sport, I don't think championships mean a crazy amount. Sorry, I'm deferring to individual talks. Championships mean a lot. I'm not going to get into goats. Um, but the, the Red Wings with just consistently being in the finals all throughout and even into the 2000s is where it's it's got to be them as the best team in NHL history. Um, now, lately, they've really fallen off. I'm going to give it that. Um, but who knows? Maybe they could turn it around and uh, put it together. Now, if they don't put it around, there could be a team that leapfrogs them because, again, my knock on the Canadians, they haven't done it in 30 years. So if the Red Wings have another 15-year drought, they hit 30 years and they're up there with the Canadians. But as of right now, Red Wings are the best team in NHL history. Now moving on to the fourth league or fourth major league in North American sports, um, MLB. I don't really think this one is a question. Teams that could be up there are Red Sox, Dodgers, um, you know, a combined combination of the Giants and the Cardinals, I think are tied for that kind of fourth and fifth spot. Um, but I think it is unquestionably the New York Yankees. 27 World Series titles, 40 World Series appearances, 58 playoff appearances. So you put that in perspective, it is without a doubt the best ratio of finals appearances to playoff appearances of all the teams that I've mentioned. Uh, 27 titles is the most of all the teams that I've mentioned, and they've dominated from the 20s all the way up. Their last one was in 2009, so they haven't won it in a while, but they're they are constantly a competitive team. The pinstripes, the New York Yankees, I don't really feel like I need to talk about this one too much because it is unquestionably the most successful franchise in MLB history. Whether you hate them, whether you love them, you can't deny it. They are always there. The Yankees are always in contention. Now, one of the knocks that I kind of had and where I put some of the MLB ones earlier on the worst run franchises is it is salary. The Yankees have the most money. I shouldn't say the most money, but usually have the most money in MLB and they can recruit the best people because of the most money. So... They have that advantage there, but I'm not going to say that because there are other teams that have that advantage that have not put together what the Yankees have put together. So, yes, Yankees are the team. So, of the major four, 
I've got the Lakers of NBA, the Steelers of NFL, the Red Wings of the NHL, and the Yankees of MLB as the best-run franchises in North America. Now, where I want to wrap up this little segment is I'm actually going to be talking about um, some of the best, you know, just football teams in the world. Soccer for those North American fans. But the best football teams in the world. Now, where I don't want to dive too much into this because not that football's rigged, but I didn't mention them in the worst run franchises because there's relegation. There's there's too many ups and downs that there's never really a team that's just a dumpster fire because they don't stick around long enough to be a dumpster fire. But they can stick around long enough to be the best, which is why I'm going to mention them now. But why I don't want to spend too much time is it's very much coming down to who has the biggest wallet is who's going to put together the best team. So because of it, it's not necessarily who can run the best. It's just who's willing to spend the most money. That being said, there are still some teams that are spending. Yes, they're spending a lot of money, but they're running it well. So English Premier League, I think Man United, hate them or love them. Maybe it's because in my time, they've they've really done a lot under Sir Alex Ferguson and they had a really good era there. But Man United, think of there. I mean, Man City weren't that dominant until the oil money came in. Chelsea wasn't that dominant until Roman Abramovich came in. Liverpool has been dominant, but until recently, haven't really won a whole load. Tottenham have never won anything. You know what? Liverpool's the one team that can compete with Man United as the best run team in English Premier League. I'm only giving it to Man United because of the Sir Alex Ferguson era, probably. Now, Jurgen Klopp era is is rivaling the Sir Alex Ferguson era, but Sir Alex, Fer- Sir Alex Ferguson's era lasted longer. So, for that reason, Man United, to me, is the best-run team, but Liverpool is a pretty close second. Uh, then we're moving around the kind of Europe there. Real Madrid is a dominant team. They've they've always put together the stars. Whenever, whenever I think of Real Madrid, I think of those white jerseys. Um... I could be wrong, but they might actually be nicknamed the Los Blancos. Uh, it's just it's it's impressive to to think of every major star player that you can think of has probably put on the Real Madrid jersey at one point, or has wanted to put on the Real Madrid jersey at one point. It, it's it's an iconic badge, it's an iconic jersey. They've run it well. Bayern Munich's a very similar way out there in Germany. Um, they're synonymously. I mean, up until I mean this year, they're not going to do it, but they've had a streak of winning the German Bundesliga a ridiculous amount of times. It's 20-plus seasons for sure. This year, because of the Harry Kane curse, they're not going to win it. Flipping over to Italy, it's not as definitely one-sided. The Milans and Juventus have definitely been there, with Juventus, I think, taking the cake over in Italy. Um, Yeah, the old lady out there in, uh, in Juventus are just historically, I think, the best team in Italian soccer. But synonymously, if I had to give it to one team, again, because I've said it, I think Real Madrid is the apple of a lot of people's eye. I think every young player at one point has thought of playing for Real Madrid. Um, They might not have thought of playing for Bayern, Man United, or anything, but everybody has thought of playing and putting on that Real Madrid jersey at least one point. So that's where I'm going to say Real Madrid is the top dog in this category of the best-run franchises. Because, yes, it comes down to money, but then ultimately there, that's going to put it down to who's the team that everybody wants to play for and everybody dreams of. It's Real Madrid. Whether you like it or not, it is. There's my segment. Whether you like it or not, they are the best-run franchises in the world. Well, North America and then football in the world. (laughs) 
And that marks the end of episode three, season two of Roped In. Thank you very much for listening. If you made it all the way through, I do appreciate it. If you only listened to one segment, I hope you enjoyed the segment. If you put it on mute the entire time, thank you very much for the listen. As always, Hakuna Matata. <laughs>